0: when you get away, whether you're a teenager or an adult or whatever, but just to get away and our lives are a little bit more open to uh, what God desires for us. So it's a good thing. Hey, one announcement I wanted to just point out that uh, was in your bulletin is that for Operation Christmas Child, we're looking for um, storage space. We have a lot of items. We're doing more boxes than we've done. So if you have a garage that has some space open, talk to Brian Mercer and he'll... um, he'll fill it for you. So um, if, you, uh, have, if you just cleaned your garage and looking to fill it again, it's only for a short while, So, but we'd love for you to do that. So. Hey, we are uh, in a series called For the Sake of Others, and today we're talking about submitting to one another. This is not something we like to do very often, is to submit. Um, I don't know if, how many of you have heard of this, uh, these this athletic stuff. It's uh, MMA, UFC. Anybody watching these things these days? Yeah, a few of you watch this stuff. So it's uh, mixed martial arts and ultimate fighting championship stuff. There's, if you notice, it's on every week now. I mean, it's very, very popular. And there are three ways you can win your match if you're in this. You can knock your opponent out. And, and you wear gloves, but there's not much on there. It's mostly to protect your knuckles and not the person's face, I think. And all, that. and you can kind of do anything you want. It's, you can use any move. You can do whatever you want in these things. And you're kind of in a cage or in a ring. But, so you can knock your opponent out. The other way you can win is you can, uh, the, the match can go the whole three rounds or five rounds. They're not very long, typically. And, and you can win by judge's uh, decision. You can get more points than your opponent, and you would win. The other way you can win one of these is you get your opponent to submit. And the way you do this is there are certain moves and things like that to where you like get them in a headlock of some sort to where they're about to pass out. You get their arm in such a way that one more move, you're going to break their arm or something like that. And your opponent basically has to tap out and say, I submit, I'm done. I think that's why we don't like submission in some ways. We feel like when we submit, we're losing, we're giving up, we're not going to be the one that wins or something like that. And so it's a really, really difficult. We um, feel like we're putting ourselves below people or that we are not in control anymore. So we're going to look at submission today. And what does it mean to submit to one another? The main scripture that we'll look at where this comes from is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul writes this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is kind of the umbrella verse for what follows it, where he'll talk about what does it look like to submit in marriage? What does it look like to submit in family? What does it look like to submit for him? It was masters and slaves. But the ultimate verse is is this one. What does it mean to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? That reverence for Christ could also be fear of the Lord too. But it's this awe that you have for Christ that would cause you then to submit to one another. But how do we get to this place? And I think Paul kind of in, in Ephesians kind of uh, takes us along a journey that gets us to a place where we're like, yes, I will submit to somebody else. So we're going to go back to chapter, or chapter 5, verse 1 to see how he kind of takes us along on this. So here we go, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Some uh, translations will say that, they actually start out saying, be imitators of God. That's quite a statement. Be an imitator of God. Follow his ways be an imitator of his. And then he says that we can do this because the overall goal of somebody who is a follower of Jesus is to grow to where I would naturally imitate his ways. That I get to know Jesus so well, that I get to be in such a place where there's such great reverence for God that I actually will be able to imitate his ways as I follow what he does. And here, Paul says that the character quality that we are to take on is that we are to walk in the way of love. And he says that Jesus Christ showed us how to do this by giving himself up as a sacrifice. So here's the truth, right? Jesus Christ is our Savior. It is only because of what he's done on the cross, because we could experience the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, that he can change our heart, that our heart can be changed because he is our Savior because of what he's done. But not only is he our savior, but he is our example of how to live in this life of grace, how to live in this life of the gospel. This is how you are to live. And the way Jesus showed us how to live was by being a sacrifice, was being able to offer himself up. He is our best example of one who submits to someone else. Now, his disciples were not very good at this. If You follow along in the Gospels, Jesus' disciples were not very good at submitting to each other. They were more concerned about who was the greatest, who was going to have the highest place. In fact, as they are walking towards Jerusalem, as they're walking towards Jerusalem for that time where Jesus will be arrested, he will be put on the cross, his disciples, in fact, uh, James and John get their mom to ask him, Hey, can we sit on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom? Can we have the most important places, James and John are asking. Jesus says, you don't know really what you're asking. And the other disciples get really angry. And so in Matthew 20, it says this. Jesus called them together. and He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he says, look, the, the, the rulers of the Gentiles, he uses this phrase, lord it over them. Is there, if there's an opposite of what it means to be one who's willing to submit, it is one that you want to lord it over others. You want to be the one that is in charge. You want to be the one that tells people what to do. And Jesus says that's what the rulers of the Gentiles do. They want to lord it over one another. Some of you probably know some people that like to lord it over one another. Don't look at each other right now. but But every once in a while, we get to that place where we want to be the one that lords it over them. And Jesus says that's not how you're supposed to live. In fact, Jesus turns everything upside down, doesn't he? Right? He says, if if you really want to be great, you must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And he flips everything upside down. And he says that he then is the example of one who came to serve and to give and to submit. Again, if you look through the scriptures, you'll find many, many times where Jesus says, look, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what he tells me to do. I'm not doing this all on my own. And ultimately, right, he submits, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, not my will be done, but yours. So it's this beautiful picture of what it means to be one who submits, we often think that it's a sign of weakness and a sign of that we don't want our opinion known. That's not what he's saying, no. But he's saying you are willing to submit and not be one who lords it over others. So we're called to imitate God is what Paul has said in the first verses of Ephesians 5. And our best picture of what it means to do that is to know Jesus and his ways, which will enable us to submit when we're called to. So then in Ephesians 5, we'll jump back to Ephesians 5 now. Paul continues his argument. He keeps talking about here's what it's like to live in dark, or live in light as opposed to darkness. Here's how you're supposed to live and all these things. And then we get to verse 18. And he says this. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this isn't a sermon about alcohol or anything like that, but there's a pretty, pretty straightforward verse here about it. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What he's saying here is that, and, and we know this about alcohol and other things that we get addicted to, is that what we oftentimes are trying to do is fill an emptiness in us. We're often trying to fill our lives with something where we feel something isn't quite right, and we're grabbing onto something else to fill us up. There's an emptiness, and there's a, a sense that something's missing, and that we're not something's not quite right, and so we start grabbing for whatever. And it it can be alcohol, it could be some other type of drug, it could be relationship, it could be all sorts of stuff, but we think, that's what's going to fill me. And we look for these other things that are going to try and fill us. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't don't do that. Don't grab for all these other things. Allow the Holy Spirit to be what fills you, right? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So this, this, this... Kind of argument or this sort of track that Paul's taking is that the first thing is that we have to know Jesus Christ in our own lives and we have to follow him as an example. And then the next thing he says is be filled with the Spirit, be filled with this Holy Spirit. And there's four things that he follows now saying this is what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He says the first thing is that you'll speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs in the Spirit. Now, Tuesday on our guy's Bible study, we had a really interesting discussion about what does this mean? Does this turn life into musical theater? And all of a sudden, life is like La La Land or Hamilton or something like that, where every time you meet, you just burst into song about something. And we decided, yes, it is. No, no, we decided no. But what it points out is, That we should know scripture well. We should know scripture in terms of being able to encourage one another with scripture. That we should be able to come up with one another and say, here's what the Lord has been teaching me. Here's what the Lord told me uh, how to encourage you with these words that he's saying. And that, that we come alongside each other and we encourage each other with psalms, hymns, and songs that the Lord has given us. And so it's not musical theater. The second thing that happens, though, when you are filled with the Spirit is this. It says, you will sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. That that throughout the rest of your week, throughout the rest of this day, as the Holy Spirit has filled us, that there actually would be music in your heart. That maybe one of the songs we sing today would continue to resonate in your heart. And you would just be thinking of that song. The words would keep coming to mind. The melody would keep coming to mind. And that as you go through your week, worship would be something that is continuously happening in your life, in your heart. Once in a while, it will, it will come out. It comes out here on Sundays and all that. But throughout the rest of your week, that there just is this inner, I don't know, inner dialogue that's happening with you in the spirit to where there is music, there are the words of Scripture, all that is continuing on in your life. And Paul says that's part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, that you have this song going on in your heart. Then the third thing he says is always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Is that wild? Always giving thanks to God for everything. Even when it's a difficulty, even when it's hard, even when I may not understand it, I'm still willing to give thanks to God for what is going on in my life. Because I understand that the Holy Spirit is working in my life. The Holy Spirit is leading and guiding me and filling me so that I can be thankful in all ways. And these things are ways that, that the Holy Spirit shows itself as we as we encourage one another with Scripture, as we have this inner worship that's happening all the time as we're people of thankfulness, just being grateful for what God has done and is doing in our life. And then the fourth thing, he says, is that you would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That as we're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit changes us, shapes us to where we can actually submit to each other. One of the um, commentators I read wrote this about this idea of submitting to one another. He said, subjecting oneself to one another is the opposite of self-assertion, the opposite of an independent autocratic spirit. It is the desire to get along with one another, being satisfied with less than one's due, a sweet reasonableness of attitude. Isn't that a great idea or statement about here's what it means to submit? doesn't mean I'm weak. doesn't mean I just give up and let you just run over me but I am willing, right, to be satisfied with less than what's due to me. I don't want more. I'll take less. A sweet reasonableness of attitude in terms of my relationships with one another. You can submit to one another in your marriage. You can submit to one another in your family. You can do it at work. You can submit to others on the freeway. You can submit to others at Costco, okay, okay? All these places where it's like, I am not so worried about what I get. Yeah, go ahead. Take my place. It's all right. You can submit to people at work. You can submit to any decision-making group. It doesn't, again, mean that you're weak or never have an opinion. But a sweet reasonableness of attitude is what it means to submit to one another. And I believe that the key to developing this, as we, it, as we talked about, knowing Christly deeply following his example, having the Holy Spirit in our lives, but the key is developing humility. That as we develop a true character of humility, the outward actions of that will be that we can submit to one another. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes this. In the same way, you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. All of you be humble towards one another. That developing humility towards one another and in our heart is so important. Uh, Philippians, Paul talks about this again. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you should look to the interests of others. In humility, value others above yourself. That this is what we mean when we're talking about what it means to submit to one another is that I have allowed Christ to develop this humility into me where I do. I can value you above myself. I can put your interests above my own. It's not all about me. I'm willing to sacrifice for your good. So so the question then is, so how do we develop humility in our lives? And and there's a whole bunch of of ways to do this, I think. And, And the obvious one, the one that will come up on every sermon just about is, through scripture, prayer, and fellowship. As you read the scriptures, as you're in prayer with your Lord, as you're together like this, and any other spiritual discipline you might, or practice you might have, all of these things that we do, reading scripture, praying, fellowship, all that, is to put us in a position where the Holy Spirit can work in our life. If you wanted to take time to fast this week, the reason you're fasting is so that the Holy Spirit can work in your life you wanted to get away and have a time of silence and solitude, the reason you do that is so that the Holy Spirit can work in your life. All of these things, Scripture, prayer, fellowship, any of them, is so that the Holy Spirit works in your life. So this is one way that God uses this to develop humility, is through Scripture, prayer, and fellowship. The second one isn't as fun. Accept humiliation with a desire for your character to grow through the experience. Accept humiliation. A friend of mine once said, if you want to become more humble, then just be humiliated. We don't like that. We don't like to be told we didn't do a good job on something. We don't like to be caught doing something we shouldn't be doing. We don't like someone looking at us when we're yelling at referees, those sort of things, right? But... It's uh, humiliating in some ways. And typically, our response when this happens is to be defensive, saying, no, no, no. Well, well if, if you had done this, then it wouldn't happen. Or, oh, you're doing it wrong. I'm right. And to develop humility is to say, you know what? I was wrong. And then to think about then to allow it to then uh, grow into, um, into humility. I made a mistake. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. But to allow and accept humiliation as a desire for your character to grow. The other ones are kind of practical, too, that I wrote down for this. The other one is intentionally be the last in line, whether it's at a buffet, whether it's uh, on the freeways, whatever that looks like for you. But being willing to be the last one and not always be the first in line but to stand in the back. other one is in a, a group, uh, in a group, speak as little about yourself and try to get to know as much as you can about the other people in the group. A lot of times we're so careful to make sure people know who we are and what we've done and just to take time to listen and to say, no, I don't, I'm not going to try and impress these people with what I am and who I am. I just want to listen to what they have. And then... The other one is um, intentionally choose the more difficult task. There's possibilities at work, or if there's a workday here up at church, or whatever it might be, but taking the ones that are the most difficult and might take the longest to get done, and might not do it well, I guess, possibly too. The other way to do this is to uh, just be a UCLA football fan. So either. (laughs) Either way, too. That's the other possibility if you really want to be humbled well is that. So these are the ways that you grow in humility, practically. You, You continually put yourself in a place where the Holy Spirit's at work, developing humility in you. But you can take actual steps, steps back typically, and it will grow humility in you. And then that will allow you to honestly then submit to others. There are a few times when you should not submit to other people. I just have a couple here. You're not called to submit to a person if they would cause you to disobey God's word or his ways. If anybody ever wants you to do that, encourages you to do that, says you must do that, you will say no. I will do what God has told me to do. We see this in in the Acts, right? The disciples are brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin tells them, you must stop preaching about Jesus. And they say, we're sorry. We have to keep preaching about Jesus. There are times when you just cannot submit because they're telling you to do something that is against God's will. And then the other time is this, is you're not called to submit to someone if your submission would cause you physical, emotional, or spiritual harm. We're not called to put ourselves in positions of harm, physically, emotionally, or uh, spiritually. So there's a few places where it's really difficult to submit. And I'm not even going to talk about marriage today. So, um. (laughs) okay, one is the church. Not even sure you all knew you are supposed to submit at church. But here's what it says in Hebrews 13. And there's... A few different sections in Hebrews 13 where definitely you, you know that where he's talking about leaders, it's leaders in the church. The writer of Hebrews says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. That would be of no benefit to you. And so that the people that are a part of the leadership of this church, the elders, the staff, myself, we are here and, and we have incredible leaders. And incredible elders on this team. In fact, on the back of your bulletin, they're all named. I'd love for you to pray for our elders often. We have a meeting tomorrow night. And and our elders' whole purpose of being on the elder board is for people, for us, to grow in Christ, to flourish in our relationship with God, and to help as many people come to know Jesus as possible. That's why the ten of them serve. And, and sometimes they're going to make decisions you may not understand, but I believe rather than just leaving and getting mad, that God calls us to submit and to uh, work it through with them. Hang in there with them and see what they, what God is using them. So the church can be a very difficult place to submit. The other place where it can be very difficult to submit is the government. Romans 13, Paul writes this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who don't do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, a very interesting thing about when Paul's writing this is he's writing this when the Roman governor is probably Nero, and Nero is killing Christians left and right. But Paul says, submit to the governing authorities. Now, now oftentimes, I'm afraid these scriptures are misused. They've been misused throughout history, support practices like slavery in our own country Uh, apartheid in South uh, Africa. But the truth of these scriptures are this, that Christians should be model citizens. We should pay our taxes. We should do everything so that our city, our state, and our nation can flourish. That's what Paul is saying. That's who we're to be. But there may come a time where Christians must stand up against Christians the evil that is in their own country sometimes. I'll end with this. Some of you maybe know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think we have a picture of him. Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor and a theologian. He established the Confessing Church in Germany in the 1930s. When Hitler came to power in uh, April of 1933, um, Bonhoeffer said this. He said, We uh, And talking about the persecution of the Jews, he said, we must not only simply bandage, bandage the victims under the wheel, but we must jam the spoke of the wheel of injustice itself. Saying we just can't take care of those that are getting run over by the German government. We have to stop it from doing that. He struggled a lot with this verse, these verses. But he got to the point where he realized that if as Christians we see something that is evil and stand back and do nothing, we are contributing to that evil continuing in our countries. And so he became a part of the the group that was against Hitler. In fact, he became a part of what was called Operation Valkyrie, which was a plot to assassinate Hitler. Bonhoeffer, a Christian theologian, said, we must try to kill this man. It failed, obviously, and um, he was arrested and thrown into a concentration camp. And on April 9th, 1945, at Fossenberg concentration camp, uh, Bonhoeffer was killed, executed, two weeks before it was liberated by the Americans. But every once in a while, you will get to a time where you have to stand up against evil, and we cannot submit in those situations. But most of the time, as we allow God to develop the humility in our lives, as we allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in us, we will then submit to others and not say, I don't have to have my own way. Bonhoeffer wrote this from prison. It has to do more with just relationships with one another, but I think it speaks to submission for us here today. He says, in a word, live together in the forgiveness of your sins. For without it, no human fellowship, least of all marriage, can survive. Don't insist on your rights. Don't blame each other. Don't judge or condemn each other. Don't find fault with each other, but accept each other as you are and forgive each other every day from the bottom of your heart. We must live in the forgiveness of our sins, knowing that we are not perfect knowing that we don't have it right all the time, knowing that we are broken, sinful people. And we need to ask our Lord for that forgiveness, but we also need to ask one another for forgiveness. And then don't insist on your rights. Don't blame each other. Don't judge or condemn each other. These are words that are written by a man who's arrested in a concentration camp. I think they speak well to us today. That we would learn to grow. What does it mean for us to submit to Christ first and foremost? To put Christ first in everything out of reverence to him, out of incredible joy of relationship with him and experiencing the Holy Spirit's work in our life to grow the humility that we so need and allow us to submit to one another. I'm not going to lord it over you. I'm going to listen I'm going to submit. So you might be thinking of a situation, a relationship right now where this fits. Ask the Lord to really give you everything you need to be the person that he wants you to be in that situation. And to be willing to submit. And ultimately, here's what it is. When we do submit, what we're ultimately saying is, I'm going to trust you, Lord, with this relationship. I'm going to trust you, Lord, with this situation. I believe, Lord, that you can do more in this than I can on my own. And I will fully trust you. I think that's what it means to submit. Let's pray together. So, Lord, this is not an easy, easy topic. And so, Lord, it is our desire and our prayer that you would um, take these words, take the scriptures, take our time that we spend with you, And continue to teach us what it means to truly be men and women who can submit first and foremost to you, but then to others also. That, that Lord, um, I don't always need to have it go my way. I don't always need to be right. But I will trust you, Lord, in whatever you call me to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.